best and most blessed greetings of divine light and peace. Assalamu alaikum, beloved brothers and sisters. This is Ihsan, and this is Soul of Islam Radio. I recently had the opportunity to catch up with an old friend and fellow student of the spiritual path, the author A. Halwa, whom many of you at this point likely know. When previously we had met, it was years ago, and in a sacred gathering of thikr, in which believers come together to remember their Lord in prayer and meditation, seeking His divine peace, presence, and pleasure. Since then, Sister Halwa has published her beautiful and essential book, Secrets of Divine Love, which has gone on to become a global bestseller, translated into nearly a dozen languages thus far, with thousands of five-star reviews on Amazon and a passionate and loyal fan base. In my estimation, Sister Halwa is a devout student of sacred knowledge and a sincere seeker of truth and we felt that it was time to come together for conversation regarding the subtleties and intricacies of the spiritual path, that which leads to divine love and to the divine presence of our Lord and Creator. Following is our conversation. Okay, welcome, beloved Soul of Islam radio listeners, and a joyous and warm welcome to you, Sister Halwa. Assalamu alaikum. It's a a great joy and a great pleasure to be finally connecting with you again after, after some years now. Walaikum assalam. Thank you so much, Brother Hassan. It's um, it's just such a gift to be here with you. Likewise, uh, I've been sort of watching from a distance the the increasing popularity of your work, your book, your platforms, and social media. And uh, I, like I said earlier, I can't tell you how many people have recommended to me this great book that they're reading called Secrets of Divine Love. And every time I see it, it's like okay, a little bit of smile inside and happiness. And it's great to see that. You know, we connected many years ago, and to see that now uh, I've got clients and customers and you know people that I work with coming across your work independently and recommending it and telling me that they've came across this great book. And I've also had people actually recommend to me to have you on the Soul of Islam radio podcast. And so when we got the email and, and we were able to time this, it's perfect, and I'm glad it's finally happening. Thank you so much. You know, I, I've listened to many episodes of Soul of Islam me and my friends. And I, I continue to feel grateful because I don't think that we have many podcasts like this in the Islamic community. I'd venture out to say that there aren't any quite like this. And I say that knowing that um, in this tradition, we tend to hold praise in a kind of different way. So mm. I say Alhamdulillah, and I thank Allah for, for guiding you to do this work because it's really, it's just really helpful. And um I feel grateful and I and I know that this work affects people because I've seen it and I've heard so many. So I'm just excited to share this with more people across the platforms that I have as well. So thank you for having Amen. me here. Well, who I mean. And and likewise, again, I'm also very excited because uh for me too, right? I'm hoping to help again, you know, sort of share your work, your project, your platforms with people. Uh you don't you may not know this, but I've already purchased your book as a gift for several people just within my family and had that sent out to them. Because they're always asking me, right, what's a good book to read about Islam, about Sufism? And these are often, you know, individuals that are just now getting into the spiritual path and or, or being their interest is being peaked. And I always think, okay, this is the perfect book, perfect work, perfect sort of way of communicating to people in the modern world, you know, about Islam and about spirituality. 
So I, I want to, maybe we can take a step back because a lot of people know who you are, but there will still be, you know, a, a number that don't quite aren't yet familiar with your work. Maybe just a brief, very brief bio or background about yourself, you know, and, and your journey that led you to kind of where you're at today. Sure. Um, I grew up Muslim, actually. And my parents, the way that they followed Islam was actually quite inspirational. It was based in service. So I just remember as a child, you know, every time something was happening in the community, either my mother or my father were sort of involved or we, we would be going to dinner and we detoured to a hospital or mm. a funeral or something at the mosque. Like it was constant in my life. And so I experienced Islam first through service, which I think is such a gift looking back on it now. But then there was a period around the time I was in high school where I felt distance from the faith. And, and I share this because I think it's important just to experience or at least have a window of seeing how much I feel like Allah's mercy is a big role in my life and in this book uh, as well, because there was about t a 10-year period where I didn't even pray. And I say that because sometimes people feel distant or they feel far away from Allah and they feel like there is no path in coming back. They feel like they've gone too far. Mm -hmm. And for me, I just felt disconnected. I felt like my parents had um, shown such a beautiful side of Islam, but I couldn't find my own connection. I was sort of borrowing their experiences with the divine. I didn't have my own. You know, so uh, Rumi talks about this in a lot of his poetry about taking on other people's stories and, and how go and find your own story. And right. for me, that was go and find your own story with Allah. And so there's a period of time when I talk about being in Turkey and witnessing in the book, witnessing someone in a deep state of prayer and my heart feeling like that was familiar but not being able to point to a experience that I remembered. Mm. So it was this really confronting moment of saying, I want that, but I'm not really sure what that is because it looks like prayer and it sounds like prayer, but it feels so different. Mm. And that really put me on a journey to identifying what that was, that spark of a feeling, which put me on this path of seeking out different traditions, different mystical traditions, and to the point of living with monks in a monastery, meditating, mm -hmm. waking up at five in the morning to meditate, but having not been able to wake up at five in the morning as a child to pray. So it was like the context changed and suddenly waking up early or setting aside time for prayers throughout the day no longer became like a chore, but it became a thing where you, I felt longing towards it. Kind of like when you eat, like you're hungry, you're like, you start searching for food. It started mm. to feel that way. And I was, I was pretty surprised because I just always thought that was for somebody else, someone holy, someone honestly elderly like I felt like that's like I looked in the mosques and it tended to be filled with older people and so I was like what is this feeling so once I started to follow this longing to have closer connection with Allah it started to put me in front of different teachers and started to experience the essence of this tradition which is absolutely mind-blowingly beautiful and nice. so attractive at its core I mean, it's just so beautiful, like like watching the northern lights, but in the unseen, you know, like that's what it, yeah. it there was this awe struck sort of feeling. The word awesome has lost its meaning in, in English. So we use a lot, but this awe inspiring, I guess right. I'll say feeling. And and so then once I 
had started to have my own experiences with Allah, I, I, I just felt guided to begin to share some of what the, these teachers taught me that led me to feel this divine love. And it began to culminate into this book, which I, I will say also, I felt completely incapable in writing. And I like to say this, and I hope I always say this to people listening, because of feeling like I didn't know how to put these ideas and teachings into words. And I didn't consider myself a writer. Although I always wrote poetry, I didn't consider myself a writer mm -hmm. in the long form. And so the whole book started with a deep sense of, I need help a lot <laughs> at the core of it, which starting out didn't feel great because you didn't, because I didn't feel capable. But as the book started, as I started writing, I actually held on to that lack of ability, to that neediness, to that feeling core in terms of what I could offer. Mm -hmm. And it ended up being interestingly like a refuge and a place where I had to depend on Allah and I had to constantly turn to him for help. And I actually feel like in many ways, the good that comes from that book comes from the desperation of needing Allah's help, inshallah. MashaAllah. Um, there's so much there that I can personally understand and relate to, Sister Halwa. And, and a part of it, I would say, would be this sort of this rediscovery of the spiritual tradition within the faith, within the religion. So one of the things that that happens, and I see it quite often, right, is we see, for example, um, examples of religious practice that in reality may not be beautiful or inspiring and, and oftentimes can be downright, you know, unattractive to people. And so the mistake that I see and that and we've all, right, we can all probably relate to some degree of being disenchanted with experiences of faith and religion. It's a ummah, it's a nation of almost 2 billion people at this point. But the mistake that I see a lot of times is that um, sometimes that can turn us away from religion and turn us away from faith and from the tradition, from looking deeper within. So one of the things that I recommend a lot, for example, to like students and to clients and to people that I work with is this idea of taking ownership of one's own path, taking ownership of one's religion, not delegating that responsibility to others. And, you know, because somebody or so-and-so is practicing in a certain way, then it's not for me. Do you resonate with that? What would you say about that? First of all, I just wanted to say, like, the deeper elements of the Islamic tradition in terms of spirituality, like, does change the entire way of, of approaching this faith. And it not because it's new age or not because it's a new way of approaching this tradition, but because it's actually as, as old as religious traditions as a whole. Mm -hmm. The spirituality came with it in, in the way that I define spirituality, which may be important to say because there's so many perceptions, is, is just the inner dimensions of right. the tradition. Yep. It's not outside of the practices. It's not, um, it's in conjunction with the mm -hmm. practices. And so people's different opinions, people's different approaches to faith. I, I think I actually believe that kind of welcome people to explore. Um, I think the, the Quran and the Sunnah, as emulated by the Sahaba and the Ahlul those are your gates. Like you stay in that, I, I don't want to call it a playground in a way of like not honoring the tradition, but mm -hmm. in a playground in terms of like, experience or be present to play with this tradition in this safe space and you can explore you can discover you can go and take in something new you know like i i think that um the beauty of allah saying that everything that he creates is an ayah means mm -hmm. that 
on a walk in nature, you can stop and listen to a flower deeply praising the divine. And when I say that, sometimes people get so literal. They're like, oh, the audible voice of a flower. They just mean in symbols and signs. Right. What do you see when you see a, a flower bloom because it's touched by light? Except that it's this is its prayer and this is its praise. And so if you mm. take a second and you realize you're surrounded by miracles, like there's a wooden table in front of me. If I slapped it and pulled out an apple, you would say, that's a miracle. But every day trees do that. <laughs> and we mm. don't, we walk past it as a yeah. accepted occurrence, but it's pretty miraculous if you think about something so sweet and squishy coming from something so hard and rough. Yeah. Right. But how Allah shows his signs in such a delicate way. And that's beautiful, right? I mean, we get so wowed by the latest sort of gizmo or gadget that comes out these days, right? The, the latest new feature. But my God, like, what is that technology that produces an entire tree from a tiny seed? And then that mm. produces fruits. And then that replicates itself. It's it's mind-blowing, right? Not to mention the, the human body itself and the eyes and the ears. and the, It's all inspiring, right? As you said earlier. Um, and so what does Allah Almighty say, right? They, they who see the signs of Allah, both in the outer world and within themselves. So, I mean, I, I totally get what you're saying, Sister Hago. It's beautiful, um, and it's such a beautiful approach to life, right? One that is filled with, and this is how I would say is the fruit of spirituality. It's, it's a, It cultivates or awakens within a human being an approach to life that's very present and aware and conscious, um, a way of life mm. that is very, enables us to see, right? Not gloss over. Uh, as you said, the endless miracles and favors of God that are all around us. But I, what I was saying earlier was about ownership, taking ownership of one's religion at some point. Like, for example, mm -hmm. right, you have this experience in Turkey and the, the, this awakening subsequently that takes place in us. And then it's like, okay, this is my religion and I need to now dive into it and not delegate that responsibility to other people. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. Thank you for that reminder, because I do want to address that. I feel like in our tradition, we're constantly reminded to not inherit our faith, mm. to go investigate our faith. And I, you know, sometimes parents will come up the mosque or um, in different spaces, like for, in most ways, I'm anonymous, but for people who are in my own communities. And so they will come up and say, you know, my child is asking me these questions and I can't answer them. And I always say, this is a new era where you can ask why. Maybe in the past, like a couple of generations behind us, actually people tended to not question. Mm -hmm. And I actually feel like the Islamic tradition is so, uh, I'm laughing because it's so beautiful and so absolutely rational. Like yeah. it is so rational and so logical and so transcendent at the same time. It's pretty mind-blowing in a lot of ways, mm -hmm. but the proofs of God are just so clear. It's it's the most logical thing to end up at. The tradition, the way that it addresses the purification of the nafs, the purification of the heart, the soul, the spirit, like it is so comprehensive. So mm -hmm. ask your questions, like don't be afraid in order for certainty to arrive, like bring your doubts before Allah. The problem with doubt isn't that we have it, in my opinion. It's that we try to reconcile it on our own only mm. um, instead of bringing it to Allah and always starting with a prayer. So some people are asking, how do I step into this tradition and make it my own? Mm. Begin with prayer because that's where you're saying, I'm not alone. 
I'm with Allah. So invite that presence. Not because Allah's presence is an all-encompassing from the east to the west, everywhere you look is the face of Allah, but because we, we close our eyes and so we don't witness that. But when we pray and we set that intention, we open ourselves to experience that amazing presence that's always there in support of us. So no matter what you're trying to understand or make sense of or integrate or accept, for me, it always starts with prayer because mm-hmm. that opens me up to receive. And I think that's, I would say that's like the first step to making this tradition your own. And when I say prayer in this form, I'm talking about supplication because sometimes people get confused. It's Allah, supplication, dua. I'm talking about just talking to Allah in, in, in a non-formal way, just asking for his help. And I think that lays the foundation for you to begin to explore, inshallah. So you're already describing, right, this, again, the same idea of cultivating and initiating or seeking to develop a personal path and a personal relationship with our Creator. And again, it's it's having the courage to be willing to do that, that God is accessible, accepting that, believing that, and acting on that. Yes. You know, the um, I would also absolutely echo what, or affirm what you, what you said, Sister Halwa, that like it's questions. It's questions that drive us. It's questions that help us to actually understand. And throughout the Quran, Allah Almighty is saying, do they not use their reason? Will you not use your reason? Or do you not think? And so questions are actually essential upon the path and questions with the intent to understand, to learn, to move towards the truth. Yeah. And, and to your point, I think the faith constantly asks you to inquire, to learn, mm-hmm. to, to mm-hmm. reach out. I mean, I think a, for me, a question is when the mind reaches out into the vast expanse of possibility. And one of the things that a lot of our teachers would say is that every question is essentially pregnant with the answer. Another way I like to think of that is like a question is a fragrance. Like if the answer is is a flower, then the question is a fragrance that really comes from the answer mm. to call mm-hmm. you towards it. And so if you see it in that way, you keep asking and you ask and ask and ask. And the process then becomes about asking better and better questions. Mm-hmm. And for me, that becomes a way of opening you up to receiving like that receptivity. For example, one of the questions I was pondering, for example, uh, beginning on the path is this idea of having been given free will and then having this tradition call you to turn to a lost prescriptions over your preferences. And that interesting dynamic there that I didn't quite understand. Now, a lot of people ask the free will predetermination or predestination question that wasn't mine at the point it was really just i've been given this free will to then be asked to give it like turn it over to a law mm. or this idea of die before you die and i realized very yeah. quickly that a lot of disharmony comes from the fact that we choose only based on our desires and we defer to the feeling of the moment to dictate which direction we're going to take so we allow our feelings that are fleeting to choose for us instead of our faith that is grounded. And so as I started to ask these questions, instead of being afraid or feeling like it was inappropriate, of course it was adab, but feeling like, oh, maybe I shouldn't ask or, okay, I just, I'm ignorant. This is how I learn. This idea of die before you die or this detachment essentially from the desires of the ego. I I came across this word and 
you know, the word autopsy in Greek, in ancient Greek, it um it means to see for yourself. Mm-hmm. And I thought that's really interesting, you know, that when you do an autopsy on, a, on an actual physical dead body, that's the word they used when you investigate a dead body. And it's like to see for yourself. It's like, well, like there's something about death that allows you to see for yourself. A lot of times when people pass away, there's this truth that emerges. You get to really see who they were. And there's something about human nature that gets it a step too late, you know? Hmm. And I was, it just was such a fascinating thing to start when you begin to ask, it's words start to arrive. It paint the picture in a different way. And you start to see that this in, in this, in the religious tradition, this death, this symbolic death of the attachment to the self actually allows you to see reality perhaps more clearly as it is so that you could live in a way that is more aligned to the truth that you may have not seen had you not asked had you not quote died to the attachments of the self and that all arises by starting to ask questions and it will continue to unfold if you keep asking questions never feeling like like Oh, man, that, that's kind of embarrassing to ask. Or And because humility, again, going back to the origin of the word, it, it comes from like being from the earth, that word. Mm-hmm. It's an essential part of the Islamic tradition, humility. But its essence, at least in English, comes from being from the earth, being grounded, being close to the earth. Mm-hmm. in a Almost like you could say in a prostrated form. So I always say like, even if I'm, I am anonymous, you probably can pull me out of a group based on the one who asked the most questions, because it's like, I'm okay with being, and people quote, embarrassed by all that. That might be a stupid question because I know that that's the way that I receive. And you only, it's like water goes to low lands, you know, you got me, you just have to like put your head down and ask, put, just ask for help. And I guess I'm making such a point about this because we don't know anything. Everything that every teacher has ever known, every quote expert has ever known, is because Allah chose to allow them access to that knowledge. And as limited as I am in my understanding, for Allah, it's easy. It's like when I I think of, you know, Maryam saying like, how could I be pregnant? (laughs) And the angel's like, "Mm, it's easy for God. Yeah. You know, those are the exact quotes from the Quran. But essentially, it's like, just like that, it's very easy for God. He just said be, and it was. So no matter what we're facing, just to just know the God that created you said be in existence came to being. It's easy for God. It's just really easy for God. Allahu Akbar. As we say, God is great. God is infinitely mm-hmm. great. So you, there was a lot there that you said, actually, and you brought up the topic of death, which I wanted to actually already had on my list of things that I wanted to uh, bring up and share with you because it's such an important topic, um, something that I I try to emphasize uh, as much as I can as well, and not in a morbid way, right? So for example, in your book, you, you mentioned something to the effect of that it is the doorway of death that actually gets a human being to the threshold of eternal life, right? That it's mm. through death that we actually attain to eternal life. In fact, why don't we just talk on that for a moment? Because you also mentioned, right, the self, and the ego, you mentioned the statement, die before you die. This idea of, of death, right? what is it actually that dies? And, and, and I'll come back to this really, really quickly, but I just wanted to also touch on the fact that like this idea of questions, and you're talking about asking questions, it's such a beautiful metaphor, such a beautiful example that you use, like the fragrance of a flower. In a way, it paints for me the image that it's Allah Almighty that puts that question in the heart of the human being, almost mm-hmm. like something to draw them 
towards him, towards truth, towards knowledge, towards wisdom, towards learning, towards understanding. It, it reminds me of, I believe it was Jalaluddin Rumi, I believe it was him that said, in all of my seeking and searching, I eventually realized that his seeking me preceded my seeking and longing for him by right? talking about Allah. And so in the same way, right, the, the questions that arise in the human being aren't something to shy away from, but rather breadcrumbs or, or the scent of something that Allah is trying to pull us and call us towards. Would you share that, share that sentiment? Does that make sense to you? Yeah, I absolutely, a thousand percent agree with you i do i feel like this is how allah brings us close to him and and if it wasn't so he wouldn't call us to constantly use our reason mm -hmm. to have a mind that's attuned to listen deeply he wouldn't call us to use our senses if those senses would pull us away from him of course they can those senses can pull us away from him, but they also can pull us towards him. Right. So I think that's the, the that's an important distinction is to understand that Allah gave you these doorways, meaning your ears, your eyes, to get to know him, to get to experience him. And the value or the success of that sense perception is based on how you use it. Did your mm -hmm. eyes bring you closer to Allah or did they take you further away from him? It's mm -hmm. really the question. It's the only question really... <laughs> at the core that will be asked. I mean, there are, you know, what is your religion and who is the prophet that you followed? Peace be upon them all. But really at its core, it's where did you turn when you turned? Right. And wherever you turn, there's the face of Allah, right? And there are the signs of Allah, as you were saying, right? The signs of God. So I suppose in a sense, we can say it goes back to one's intention of how mm. we use our senses or to what purpose or what end we choose to use our senses to seek God, to see his signs, his ayat, or to turn away from them by the veil of form, right? So mm. as you're describing spirituality being the really the, the inner aspect, the inner dimension of the faith, do we use our senses mm. to perceive the spirit beneath the surface, beneath the forms? Or do we just stop at the level of form and then lose ourselves and really trap and condemn ourselves to a transitory world that is fleeting mm. and that will perish? I feel like that's something that, mashallah, I feel like you've you've done a really, by Allah, done a really good job. And it's such a gift is really confronting people and the stations of the nafs and seeing like, because for, for a lot of people, they feel stuck, right? You often hear people say, I feel stuck. I can't figure this out. I don't understand all these things. And whenever I, I hear those questions in myself, I know that I'm stuck in a level of density. There's a, I'm, I'm sort of mired in form. Because mm. when, when you're in a subtle state, it's like you're able to see. You're not as strapped down by the weight of, of things. And so I don't automatically know when you're kind of stuck in form and you're kind of like dragging yourself through it. It kind of reminds me actually of that, the, the verse in the Quran that talks about in reference to the, the sun and the moon, like the uh, existence. And essentially Allah is like, do you come, you know, you come willingly or unwillingly? And these celestial bodies, you could say existence, it says like, oh, I come willingly. And then you look at how that manifests in such harmony in nature whereas like human beings tend to have such resistance <laughs> because we we don't come willingly all the time and then so mm -hmm. we're kind of dragged by divine decree because god's plan overrides ours and so then we're like oh why is life so hard i might say why is life so hard why is it so difficult and when i start asking that it always takes me back to what forms am i attached to if you're mm -hmm. talking about die before you die what am i if i'm feeling like wow, it's really hard to walk. 
I got to look like what's in my bag? What mm. am I carrying? Right. What am I trying to take ownership or control over? I don't belong to me. Right. Clearly nothing I've done or could do or achieve belongs to me. I am responsible for my actions. Don't get me wrong. I'm just, sometimes we we are like, oh, it's on me that to keep this house that I live in. Or, oh, it's on me to keep, oh, it's on me, my children. And But ultimately, it's not. We do our best, but yeah. the weight we carry we add something on it. Like Allah says, like, I do not give you a burden you cannot bear. Mm -hmm. But we give ourselves burdens we can't bear. We just add it on through right. our thoughts and interpretations and the way that we attribute meaning to what's happening to us. We add weight. And then we kind of feel like we can't. We're like dragging ourselves, you know? Um, right. Again, a lot I'm sure of, you've experienced that with a lot of people you work with. I experienced it with, my, with myself all, all the time. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, um, and, and this is where a lot of these, you know, lessons come from, right? It's just through, you were talking about autopsy. It's like dissecting yourself, looking deeply at your own experiences and your own results and your own thoughts about these things and trying to understand. Like, that's the doorway to knowledge, to understanding, like self awareness, self knowledge. So I experience all of these things. I have experienced all of these things. And this idea of, of form and density, like I have literally said, right, like at times in my life, I feel like I'm carrying the weight of the world on my shoulders. And as soon as I said that, it's like, why am I doing that? I am not the Lord of the world. Why am I taking on the weight of the world on my shoulders? Like the uh, grandfather, the Prophet ﷺ had said, Allah has a house, he will protect it. And they came to attack the Kaaba, right? So... Mm. It's like we are taking, and this is part of the kalima, la ilaha illallah, pure belief, pure faith. There is no God but Allah. So we suffer so much when we put ourselves in the position of God, of having to hold the world together, hold creation together, uh, even to be responsible ultimately for our own survival. And, and I believe, again, it was Rumi that said, he who brought me here will have to take me home. So this brings us now to this topic of trust and reliance on god and i think that these are all connected to the topic of death right the death of the self the part that resists the part that doesn't truly believe so uh, let's let's for a moment just discuss this idea of death and um mm. what do you how where do you see the idea, you know, for example, right, in the tradition, the Prophet ﷺ, peace be upon him, consistently recommended and advised his companions to remember death. It will free you. We talk about freedom. So, again, what is bondage? It's being weighed down. It's being bound to the world of form and density. You, you mentioned being subtle or light or luminous or buoyant, for example, right? That's That's the path towards freedom. And so mm. it's this embracing of death that severs those attachments. The Prophet said that uh, it is the it is the remembrance mm. of death that kills those lower desires. Mm. So, what would you say, Sister Hawa, in terms of the importance of maybe reframing or re-understanding our relationship with death, both? Uh, metaphorically or spiritually, and literally? Yeah, this is a it's a really important topic because. Especially now, I live in America, so there's a way of hiding death. You know, it's tucked away. You literally, people put, you know, you, you put a bunch of makeup on the person who's died to make them look like they're just asleep. Mm. Um, yeah. It's completely the moment, I remember being at the hospital when my grandmother passed, the moment she, 
it was like they were ready to go like to to cover her up to take her out of sight right and there was something healing about just sitting there with her for a second making our final prayers before you know then you go to the morgue and my mother's washing my grandmother like there's an intimate connection with death in the islamic tradition because as you know ali ibn talib says he's like you know be around an empty body it's a profound lesson Mm. you know so it just reminds you because in that moment suddenly you just you look at this shape this form that you loved so much and it hits you they're not there anymore right that's not it this form is not it yeah it's like i've sometimes i'll you know you're, you're driving and you're following a friend and they're in their own car or or family, or your mom, or dad, whoever it may be. And that car is so special to you in front of you. Like, you're like, oh, I hope, oh no, don't run yellow. Or, Mm. oh, oh, stop. You're so, you care so much. You could care, I mean, in my opinion, I care less about the actual car. But it's like, what it's carrying is so valuable. Right. And I feel like when the prophet, peace be upon him, says the gift to a believer is death, it's because I think in its essence, it's, it reminds you of your purpose here. Yeah. You remember that this time and this realm will come to an end. And what you planted here, you'll experience and appreciate in the next realm. You approach life differently when you understand that death will not discriminate on age or race or gender or religion. You're confronted. If for a lot of people... If you've ever sat with people who are terminally ill, one of the things you often hear is, I can't believe like I had to discover my mortality because a doctor told me right. <laughs> when when Allah has been telling you since the moment, like, I mean, since the moment we're born, right? The Adhan is in our ears. And I, and we don't, it's like that idea where the Adhan is set in the ears of a child, but there's no prayer. And then at the funeral, you pray, but there's no Adhan. And it just reminds you how short life is. <laughs> mm. So even the, at the core, the moment you're born, you're reminded your life is the distance between an adhan and the prayer for that particular call wow. to prayer. Like it is, you are reminded early. That's and I feel like this idea of facing death, reminding yourself that there will come a time, a time that you cannot predict is so beautiful. I say beautifully confronting because how important is it that person wasn't as polite as they could have been to you. How important is it? It's not to bypass our feeling. It's just to put them in context and say, what am I living for? What is my mm-hmm. purpose here? And I think death shows that to us so mm-hmm. significantly. And you know, for the for the friends of Allah, I remember there was a poem and it was using, I think it was using the Prophet Ibrahim as like a placeholder. But it really just, it was an interaction that the poet was imagining between a beloved of Allah and Allah. And it was saying, Ibrahim said to Allah, what kind of friend would take another friend, you know? And and then the, the poet kind of metaphorically says, Allah responds, what kind of friend would not come with his friend? Right. You know, yeah. <laughs> there's this idea. And I think for a lot of us, this idea that death is a going away or end is true in part, but it's really a return mm-hmm. and it's really a coming home. So, we have to shift our perspective. Yeah. It doesn't mean that we don't feel sadness. The prophet, peace be upon him, showed us that you cry for the ones you love. That there's we have we have a humanity. That we have this body, and and it's difficult for the body because its time is limited. It's difficult. But to remember that even if life on this earth ends, it doesn't mean our witnessing of God and His presence ends with death. And and I. And I guess I'll I'll end with saying that there's a I believe a 20th century poet 
His name is Shah Maqsud, and he says, if the raindrop knew its fate and could see the vastness of the ocean, it would not remain an empty bubble caught between two worlds. MashaAllah. Death is a gift in, in multiple ways, in two forms, specifically. Number one, it is returning to the friend, as you said. It's returning mm-hmm. to Allah Almighty. So in that way, it's a celebration. It, in that way, it's it's a gift. And also it's a gift because it actually puts life in perspective. I think until a person mm-hmm. learns to accept, embrace, and face death, they don't really know how to live. I learned this lesson very early on. Uh, number one in a book that I read, it was called Tuesdays with Maury. Not sure mm-hmm. if you've heard of it, but it was recommended. And I came across this a long time ago, maybe 20, 25 years ago. And I can still remember it. It was about a college professor dying and basically his student documenting the journey, you know, the last uh, months or year of his life or so on. And the the great lesson there was your time is very short. Your time is very limited and you will not know how to truly live, right? which is how to make use of your time until you actually, this is the irony, this is the paradox, until you face death when your time is very limited. So when we look at the tradition of our Prophet, peace be upon him, saying, remember death, he's really giving us the key on how to live so that we don't waste our lives unconscious and asleep, but that we wake up. Like death is the great awakener. And by facing it, it puts into perspective what matters, like you said, right? The people that are important, the people that you love, the people you care about, letting go of the small things, focusing on the important things. I mean, death is a gift. It it, it makes life real. So I remember when when my mother also took what you were saying, I was with her when she passed. And I remember, I mean, this was the first time that I ever saw anybody um, die, pass on right, with my eyes. Mm -hmm. And and again, in our tradition, we're surrounded by death. There are always typically funerals and, you know, because people have extended large family networks and community relationships and so on. So we're always being exposed to death traditionally, less so now in the West, far less so. Or like you said, it's, it's, ushered off and hidden and, and put out of sight. But I, I was with my mother, Allah Almighty, have mercy on her soul when she passed. And I remember her taking her last breath. And it was as if she was expunging something, right? Like something was leaving. Like you could see it, the body being like like it being vacuumed out of her. And the moment that that happened, her, her form was cold. It was, it just felt lifeless. So what is that? That was there one moment ago? and then departed. And that was the difference between life and death. And it was such a profound experience, and I've never forgotten it. And, and, that's what the, right, and that's what spirituality, I would say, calls us towards, to spirit, because that's the source of life. That is life. So this brings me to another question I wanted to ask you. You mentioned earlier the essence of the tradition, the essence of the religion, the essence of Islam. What would you say? How would you describe that and the path that is based on the understanding or connecting with the essence of the religion. I just um, I wanted to spend a second and just pray for deep mercy upon your mother, and may Allah forgive her of any um, shortcoming. And um, and I and I'm, you know, it, it makes me happy in a way to know because the work you do assists her in the in the next realm uh, as her son so i pray that allah makes it easy for you to to always do good um i mean i mean thank you um yeah of course i um i just wanted to make a point too is i i was sitting with this and and i'm going to answer your question as well but that because a lot of people 
when someone passes away, they start to look for them. It's a common question. Where did they go? Where are you? Where did you? And there's just the mind struggles to understand because the mind forgets that it's, oh, they're on a trip. Oh, no, they're not. They're not here anymore. It's like there's a constant. It takes time to understand to allow yourself to accept and i think this is this is i feel like why i'm i love islam so much because it's like prayer charity these are ways you transcend the density of these forms and you can actually interact with those who've passed in prayer when you pray for them it affects their reality when you give in their name it affects their reality and there's many tradition, like there's many stories that talk about that. But when we miss someone we that has passed, because we talked about death right now and confronting our own mortality, but there's just there's also this element of grief. Those we love that have passed, when we miss them, mourn them, and also then do something in their name. It could be small. It doesn't have to be with money. Remember this tradition tells you a smile is charity so go and smile on behalf of your parent on behalf of your grandmother friend spend an hour in service hold a door open but like it sounds small seemingly insignificant but you you realize that the that the barrier between this and the next life is not that thick it's actually quite thin we'd mm. say a breath thin because it's mm. literally a single breath difference yeah you know you're speaking about your the story with your mother it's like it was the breath that kept her warm and then it, she exhaled it but the thing is it's like every time you breathe you take in a molecule of her breath of the prophet peace be upon him breath that's mm. the scientific fact right in a world that recycles air and so we take it's that's how the fact that i could breathe and it, in my lungs carry something of of a breath that the prophet isa jesus mm. took amazing can you see how past present future or the exhale that you may have just taken it's your great 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 grandchild mm. will one day breathe in it's like there wow. is such a interesting interconnection that if we actually allow ourselves to experience it's breath breathtaking <laughs> well, <laughs> well, said. well said your, your poetry comes out <laughs> you know that, that's beautiful the, the quantum how the quantum field or energy or level or the energy the, the energy of the universe really transcends time, right? Energy transcends time and space, and it's so pervasive. It connects us with the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi 1400 years ago, or with our parents, or with even our, our children and, and descendants who have not yet been born. It's a, I think you did, you did a session, you did a podcast episode on Interstellar, right? Yes, yeah. Yes, but I was like, uh, okay, anyone listening to this should go listen to that one too, because mm. I feel like it was such a beautiful... But, you know, essentially in that film, it was saying, like, love is the thing that right. <laughs> transcends time and space. Exactly. And we, when we have this, like, you know, there's a thing in, in science a theory of uh, entangled electrons, which is this idea that something that happens to, if two electrons are entangled, something that happens to one of them is experienced to the other, right. even if it's billions of light years away. Mm -hmm. Meaning instant, like, instantaneously as well instantaneously like, like yeah. it kind of like defies this idea that of the speed of light or mm -hmm. that the, the this information could be shot across it's like somewhat inherent in both somehow transcending the right. space time continuum mm -hmm. of some sort it confronts us 
with this idea that there's this interconnection that's completely beyond our understanding. Yeah. And something that you talk about so beautifully is, is just being in the present moment and realizing that we can access so much from right here, right now. And sometimes mm -hmm. what we need is just to make that prayer and to ask Allah to allow us to feel that connection with the one we love. Mm -hmm. And it's not to say that Part of death is recognizing that things pass and the only thing that stays is the face of Allah, as he says in the, in the Quran. But it's just to, like it teaches us something about time, space, this existence. And when you talk about what is the essence of this faith, like what, how do you connect to that? For me, it will always be Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. It will always be mercy. The Prophet, peace be upon him, was sent as a mercy to all worlds like call me Allah, call me Ar-Rahman. Like it's in yeah. what does that mean? Like mercy, it's what I think is so I mean and I mean I wrote Secrets of Divine Love. So people would say, hey, why didn't you say love? But this idea of Ar-Rahman is that it encompasses so much more than just mercy, the love, care, compassion. It encompasses so much in it. But when I say mercy, you you can't have mercy. I can't you can't have mercy for me unless I have made a mistake. Like it shows up because of my fallibility. And so I think mercy in many ways is the essence of the faith because it's a reminder that we are fallible and our God mm. is not fallible. He's infallible. I am broken and he is not. I am fall into poverty. He's the rich. Like there's this, I, every way that I can experience the divine happens through my lack. And I have so much of it. So good for me because I, that's the only way I can show up really. You know, so there's this, there's a story, this, you know, poets make up these examples so that they can confront people with an idea. So to not take this literally, obviously, literally, there's a story of, um, um, and it's, it's like, the poet is painting a picture of the day of judgment and he's saying, okay, well, you know, here is the day of judgment and everyone is bowing, you know, Allah, please forgive me, please have mercy. And <clears throat> he describes Shams uh, Tabrizi running, like running towards the divine presence, which we understand this is metaphorical. God doesn't have a form, but this is just, he's painting a picture. So he's running. He goes, God, 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 I have something that you don't have and I want to sell it to you. And everyone's like, oh my God. Shams like Astaghfirullah, they're all like, oh my God. And then the divine presence kind of replies like, well, what is it? And he's like, I have my lack. Mm -hmm. I have my neediness and my poverty. And I'd like uh -huh. to sell it to you. Like, I have something you don't have. And it's like, oh my God, how, what a, everyone's like, oh, what an awful statement. How could you say that to the God? And he's like, I, I have something you don't have. You're not poor, I'm poor. Mm. You don't lack, I lack. I'm needy, you're not needy. And mercy to me represents that as a reminder. Uh -huh. that Allah meets you where you're at and where you're at, where I'm at, <laughs> it's quite low. <laughs> that reminds me, he's like, I'm merciful, meaning I know you're going to make mistakes. I know you're going to fall. I know you're going to forget. And I'm telling you that I'm Rahman. And to me, that's the essence of faith because it's telling you, come as you are, not as you think you should be. Because if you only, if you wait to come to Allah mm -hmm. until you're perfect, You'll never come because you'll never be perfect right. ever. You just never will be. So come as you are. And it's like Allah is making space for me as I am. It doesn't mean that I'm not going to try my hardest to transform, to polish, 
to detach from my ego, to die before I die. I'm going to try my hardest. And, and not but, I recognize that my Lord is Arahman. <laughs> and uh-huh. to me, and that encompasses the forgiveness, the mercy, the care, the love. Mm. And I find that to be so, I feel like I can jump in the sky and just like celebrate because I feel so, ex- I feel so grateful for that, you know? So I, I find that to be the essence. I don't know if um, if you agree or you consider the essence of this tradition to be different. Well, as you're describing, right? I mean, all of these things come together so beautifully. And so I would say, I would agree 100% that the essence of this religion is love. This is mm. the fundamental quality of the divine, and it's also the way that we will reach to the divine is through love. So Rumi, again, the great Rumi, right? He said, love is my religion. This is what he was referring to, that the essence of the religion ultimately is love. And he also says, right, love is the bridge between you and everything. Mm. So if we are going to get to Allah, the bridge between us and Allah ultimately is love, right? Mercy, compassion, love. And it's such a beautiful story of Shamsa Tabrizi, his teacher, his mentor, his companion of poverty, Mm. spiritual poverty. So it's always been recognized that spiritual poverty is the path to Allah. And, and what that means is a subject just by itself. But, you know, it's really coming to Allah from your deficiencies, from your lack, from your emptiness. Uh, nothing to offer Allah Almighty. Essentially coming to Allah empty. Even empty, we can say, of things that, let's say empty even of virtue. Right? Mm. We don't even have that to offer. Because even the Prophet of Allah said, even my yes. deeds are not sufficient to get me to paradise. It will be purely by the mercy of Allah. So we may have good deeds. We may have knowledge. We may have piety. But in reality, we don't. We don't take that and say, oh, I'm going to barter with Allah. Here's my good deeds. Here are my prayers. What do I get for it? And rather, Shams is showing divine wisdom, right? I'm coming with nothing. All my prayers, mm-hmm. all my thicket, all my charity, all my everything, I, I don't hold on to that. I'm relying uh, completely in a hundred and a thousand percent on your mercy, Ya Rabbi, oh Allah. So what is the reward then for, for the Salik, for the seeker? For the servant of God. SubhanAllah. And and in that, when you're sharing that, it's like in the turning away from depending on what we have to offer to depending and rooting ourselves to Allah. It's like that image for me is always articulated in the anchoring of boats. I kind of say this, it's like you never anchor a boat to another boat because mm. you don't know what's going to end up in the morning. Right. You anchor boats to something that doesn't, you know, move. You you mm-hmm. you anchor a boat to something rooted, and the only thing that is forever is Allah. So when you anchor, and that's like hold on to the rope of Allah, right? Mm-hmm. This anchoring allows for stability. You know, in a mm-hmm. world where the idea that death is before us, maybe today, you know, it's before us in every moment. It creates a lot of anxiety when when you're anchoring to another boat. So when we have a lot, people have you know, in, in this era, it's like the age of anxiety. His there's so much to anchor to that's also contingent. Right. <laughs> so we don't we don't feel stable because guess what? I can't control if that thing I anchor to will exist or not. Mm. I can't if I anchor to my house, well, there could be a fire. If I anchor to my right. health, be sick. If I anchor to you or you anchor to me, one of us could die. It's not that I want to leave someone behind or they want to leave me behind but they just don't have control over that it's a contingent reality mm. so i think it's just it feels so when when you're talking about shops like or the prophet peace be upon him saying i depend on the law's mercy because that that's something that i can anchor in yeah 
myself, you know, there's a story, and I'll make this very brief, of this guy who was talking about having a dream. And in his, and he was a really, you know, he's like somebody kind of like someone who works for the UN, tries his best to do good things. And he had this dream, and he, in his in his dream, you know, an angel came down and said, okay, he, he had died, and it's the day of judgment. And the angels are like looking, no, nope, that one didn't count, that one didn't count, that, and he's like, what do you mean didn't count? Like, I literally went and I built a school in a, you know, country that they didn't have any. How could that not count as a good deed? Mm. And they're like, because you did it so that people would say you're good. Yeah. He's like, uh, so they threw it out. And then he's like, like, okay, um, you know, um, he gave money to the poor. He's like, I gave money, so much money to the poor. He's like, I gave so much money to the mosque. I'm like, why did you do it? He's like, no, because I wanted to help. He's like, well, we see here that it's because you want it to be seen by your community. Okay, we see it's like constantly every grand gesture. He has was depending on his good deeds, right? Hmm. It was like X, 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 X. Yeah. And then the angels are like, well, let's see what, what you do have. It's like, well, you know, there's this one time you were walking outside of the grocery store and you held the door open for an old lady. And he's like, what? And they're like, yeah, that was sincere. Because yeah. you didn't see yourself in it. Right. Oh, there's this one time you were you were walking and you just you had some some of your bread was left and you crumpled it in your hand and you threw it for some birds. And he's like, I built schools and gave hundreds of thousands of dollars to mosques. And then my good deed is like crumpled bread for a bird. And then when he when he woke up, he was sharing it with a friend. And he's like, I didn't even the angels didn't even get to my sins. <laughs> these were my good deeds wow like and it was such a confrontation because it's like man like and then for me this the story illuminated something of what the prophet peace be upon him said the prophet peace be upon him was the best of mankind he's like i can't depend on my deeds oh my gosh what about me so it's just such a reminder to just see that even the, if we see ourselves in the good that we do we got to, we, then we, we understand why we can't depend on them. So like, if you're ever like, no, I'm a good person, <laughs> then, you know, it, it's like, um, they say you can't be proud of your humility. <laughs> you <know>? so, yeah. <laughs> That's, uh, I guess what they might call oxymoronic, right? Right. Yeah. You know, we come back to, again, humility and we come back to uh, this idea of, so what are we attached to? What are we anchored to? What are we investing in? And the idea or the image of, let's say, um, a house, like Jesus says, a house built on the edge of a cliff, or maybe how Jimi Hendrix sang, right? A castle made of sand. And you build a castle on the edge of the sea, right? Out of sand. And eventually the water is going to come and take it away. Right? Mm. Castles made of sands fall into the sea eventually. And so, right, it's a huge wake-up call because, again, what do we attach and anchor ourselves to? That which is temporal or that which is eternal? And so, it, it, again, we come back to the inevitable door ahead of us, which is death, right? Looking towards that and attaching to that, which is beyond death. And and so, thus, through right through worship, through love, through law, this is what strengthens the heart. Allah says in the Quran, it's the remembrance of Allah that will bring peace and tranquility and serenity and certainty and calm, right, to the heart. Allah be so subhanAllah, it's such a it's such a beautiful path. It's such a beautiful, as you said, such a beautiful religion as Allah opens to our hearts. It's truth, it's reality, it's secrets. SubhanAllah. Yeah. Um 
as you were sharing that, it made me it made me think of um, Imam Ghazali, who said, um, "A person who owns some snow, you know, wouldn't hesitate to trade it for jewels." pearls Mm. and the life circumstances are like that snow when the sun comes out it all melts while the next world the next life the world of your heart is like a precious stone that remains and to your point of a castle made of sand or you know the waves of time will take Mm. but what remains and this is the tradition it tells you to invest in what's eternal and to not because this life is like snow in the desert it's like ice in the desert. It will melt. Fairly quickly. And so, at that. <laughs> yeah, very quickly. As you said, a part of a day between the Adhan and the prayer. <laughs> oh my. SubhanAllah. Hmm. You mentioned Sister Hala earlier, right? The coming across on the path, teachers, poles, examples, leaders, guides, mentors. Let's for a moment talk on the, if you don't mind, the importance of, let's say, examples on the path, guides. Yeah, that's a... It's a great question. And, you know, I I feel, you know, it's funny to say this, but I try to say this often, which is you can experience inspiration through books, keeping the, the Quran and, you know, I don't know, some people would say the Quran's not a book, but a recital, mm-hmm. whatever. But this, at least in this form that it is now, it's written down, putting that separate, because that will be always the exception in my in my eyes. But books can take you so far. You know, writing on a page can take you so far. You know, I can write volumes about what an apple tastes like. <laughs> but if you've never had an apple, you really don't know what it tastes like. Hmm. Like, I can't get that taste right. If you ask people, like, I don't know, it tastes apple-y. Like, they, there's this way, like, what does a watermelon taste like? If you've never had it, like, well, there's a lot of water. It's kind of like spongy crispy like you're trying to put it's sugary but really when you take a bite like it doesn't quite match the description and i could write fault you could read volumes about what an apple tastes like but the moment i bite into one i could be ignorant i know more than you about the taste mm-hmm. right like the, the experience will override mental knowledge of something and so i find the you, I mean, you know, because Sheikh Nazam and all that is really, really super rich tradition that you're a part of. So it's like, if someone has experienced something, and the reason we have prophets, peace be upon them all, is because Allah is giving them a taste. They, they know where they're taking you. They've experienced something. I always think of this as a side note, like the prayer. <laughs> the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, is when he says subhanAllah, <laughs> he means like, wow. I mean, I, mean, I don't mean to say what he means but my understanding is that that's real for him Mm. like i might be a parrot parroting that state and then inshallah hoping at times to touch that state or to experience that state but for the prophet peace be upon him it's real (laughs) it's how you can stand for hours and hours and hours in prayer and like not be aware of the pain that's in your body necessarily because you're so taken he says, upon it, like we're emulating a state. Right? When we're, we're, we're reach, we're trying to say, like, if I say it, like, can I invoke that state? Right. And so we have teachers and for some guides and these poles of existence in this realm, in this time, there are people who deeply practiced and experienced. And it's almost like you feed on light enough, you become a sort of sun mm-hmm. and you have your own gravity in terms of inspiring people 
And huh. it, you don't orbit a teacher. We orbit a law, of course. And Allah has given this person by his decision, the ability to worship, the ability to take in, the ability to give freely. That's all because of Allah. And so, and what a gift it is to witness individuals like that. And I know for me, I was sharing once that, you know, I love reading. I love listening to lectures. I love going to places where I learn. But I, if I'm reading, even if I read hundreds, thousands of books, I learn about words. But in the presence of a true teacher, a master of the tradition, you you receive the transmission and mm-hmm. learn the, the the power of silence. You learn the teaching of silence. The a really true well, how I how I experience like a true teacher is that it doesn't feed your nafs. Mm-hmm. It confronts like your nafs, yeah. right? Quite confronts the nafs and it feeds the spirit. And that's why a lot of times I know you've experienced and been in circles where a teacher is saying something very simple quote simple it's always profound but let's say the words are simple and yet 90 percent of the crowd is like ruined in tears and they're like Mm -hmm. but 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 wait if you're in your mind i actually had a friend come to this and she's very mental she's like i don't get it he didn't say anything (laughs) he didn't say anything important i already know that adam and eve and the origins story whatever it was but the reality was if she she at that point she couldn't listen to the silence she mm. couldn't listen to what was being sent yeah. in the unseen. Yeah. And that oftentimes I'm incapable of tuning into that. But in the times that Allah is giving me the opportunity to, there is no substitute for being present enough to receive that transmission. It's like you're next to the Wi-Fi router, you know, and that connection. Right. And that is such a gift and so valuable and worth traveling anywhere in the world for. I know you know this, so it's like mm. preaching to the choir, but. Um, I am curious of your thoughts on this as well, because I know you come from a very rich tradition. Well, two things you said there, which were uh, incredibly important and profound. Number one, about transmission. And I remember realizing this, in fact, once when I was sitting in Cyprus uh, at the Sohbah, at the Association of Mawlana Sheikh Nazim. And he was, he was speaking. He was telling a simple story, like you said. But it was like there was so much more... That was like a carrier current. I'm going to try to describe this in the best way that I can. It was just a vehicle for something far deeper, right? Their words are like just a means of transmission for something far deeper. And I remember sitting there and just like experiencing explosions of, what's the word, knowledge in the heart that were way beyond what he was just saying literally. And it was was incredible in the sense that it was an experiential moment of being cognizant of transmission and that's what happens in the presence of like you said a real teacher a, a true teacher that's connected that that's received and that is transmitting that they may be giving very simple uh stories teachings lessons uh, it could be informal conversation but they are at the same time transmitting something far deeper and i'm sure you've experienced this as well as that in the tradition this is the reality of the transmission of knowledge it's from heart to heart I mean, it's mm. not. It's not like you said. It's not going to be through words and books. I mean, there is some transmission there, but the reality of it is going to be when a heart is properly aligned to a heart that is properly aligned to the Prophet, whose heart is properly aligned to Allah. Like the qibla of the heart is facing mm. towards the divine presence. That's when real transmission takes place, and that's when the religion is re- made real. 
knowledge is made real. It's made experiential. So they transmit states rather than just information or knowledge or words, but it's then, and the end result of that, of course, then becomes transformation. That, that's how I would phrase it. That was, that was perfect. I feel like that, that should just be like, I'm just going to copy paste that anytime someone asks me, because I felt like that's definitely the perfect description. That transmission becomes a transformation, which I think is so true. And I, I guess on that note too, is just as a reminder to know that when you sit in the presence of a true teacher, or really, I think any teacher is turning to Allah and making that prayer to receive mm. that which would progress you on the path, that which is beneficial for you. Because sometimes, like I've experienced taking in information that's like way too much mm -hmm. as well. So, and now it's like making a habit of making that prayer to receive that which would like ground you in the path keep you humble and and i and i find that being in the space of of these true teachers is it's such a gift because the lineages they carry too and oftentimes a lot of these great teachers take their lineage back to the prophet peace be upon him or a like renowned sahaba so sahabi so it's like yeah it's like very this tradition is just that's what i keep saying it is really rich it has lots of traditions and it has it has the, the ritual elements of it keep things in such a beautiful form. And I don't mean mm. form in like a dense way, but right. it's like it's almost like studying an atom and seeing that it has this incredible form that makes it so complex and capable of doing so much. Yeah. And it's the same. I feel like the the more you learn of the tradition, the practices, the ways of transmission, it's like it only widens what's possible it doesn't limit right. and i think that's a, it's just an important thing to remember i remind myself Mashallah. sister halwa we could uh we could continue this conversation for hours but i do realize we're <laughs> a bit over time so i'm going to try to reel it in uh and inshallah sure. I, I hope that you will be open to the invitation that we continue this at some point again in the future we'd love to have you back uh, on soul of islam of radio for a follow-up and just to to stay in conversation to stay in sohba um, and god willing inshallah to hopefully be able to provide some uh, value to to the audience and to the community out there. How can our listeners learn more about you, your work? I mean, there's so much more that I actually want to talk about, but I'm just having to stop myself from asking more questions on account of the of the time. How can our audience find you, Sister Holloway, and, and learn more about you? And where can they get your book and follow you on social media? And then we'll include, uh, of course, these in the show notes as well. Thank you so much, Brother Hassan. It's a gift to be with you and your audience. I would love, I love talking to you. It's a, it's a gift to learn from you. And I pray that Allah continues to open the path of the deep teachings to you. And because I, I know that you're, mashallah, a great steward of sharing that with others. And I pray that he, Allah allows you to constantly, you know, yeah. be in service of those that um, he calls you to. Inshallah, ameen. Um, Allahumma amin. And, and likewise to you, Sister Halwa. May Allah use you to, again, reach many, many, many more hearts, inshallah. I mean, thank you. Um, you know, for anyone who may be interested, a um, few books out, you could find them on Amazon, um, Secrets of Divine Love. And then there's a accompanying journal um, and a poetry book called From Darkness into Light. And uh, I feel really grateful and excited to share that I also 
this Ramadan, there'll be a children's book called The Blessed Pomegranates. And I, I pray to, that any of those books, that if you feel called to, that they may inspire you. And to remember that the inspirational point for me has always been the Quran in all four of these books. Um, so you could also just do yourself a favor, skip and go to the Quran. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, so, and I'm on social media, a.helwa uh, underscore. Um, you could find me. I'd love to be in contact with anyone that feels called to do that. And, um, and I also just, again, want to share gratitude for the time that any listener has spent to be with us on this, in this conversation. And I pray to continue and um, everyone go pressure brother Hassan to write a book because I'm waiting for it. And, and prayers do change destinies. So, I mean, thank you. Sister Halwa. And I can't honestly, I can't recommend uh, your book. I can't recommend sister Halwa's book enough. She's, she's humble and she won't say it, but I can't tell you guys, the listeners out there, how many people, who don't know me or who don't know that I know Sister Halwa from pre from before have come to me, clients, students, customers, uh, people, even even friends, and said that there's this amazing book that they've been reading, right? Secrets of Divine Love. And um, I've had I, honestly, I've had many, many people just and, and people don't often recommend sort of randomly books to me like that, but they've recommended your book many, many times. Uh, it's an international, yeah, no, mashallah, it's an international bestseller. It's, uh, I think, been translated into what, uh, half a dozen or more languages at this point? Um, over 3,000, yeah, over, I think, 3,000, practically five-star reviews on Amazon. So I can't recommend the book Secrets of Dying Love Enough, as well as the, uh, you know, accompanying journal and everything else. So sir, how is involved in and we'll definitely have a link to that uh into her profiles on on the show notes uh beneath this episode thank you uh, again sister halwa for joining me for making the time and for sharing not just your time but you know honestly sharing the love in your heart with all of us with the world and for doing the work that uh that all almighty is calling us to do right to to serve him inshallah in the best ways possible May Allah might increase you in your ability to do that, Sister Halwa, and uh, increase your reach and your audience and the the light that, that he transmits through your work and through your heart, inshallah. Ameen. Ameen. Thank you so much. Alhamdulillah. Thank you. And thank you for joining us, uh, beloved Soul of Islam Radio listeners. We look forward to reconnecting with you soon and also to having Sister Halwa on again at some point in the near future. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi ta'ala wa barakatuh. I pray that you enjoyed and benefited from this discussion and episode of Soul of Islam Radio. To help us continue to bring you these candid and authentic conversations regarding spiritual development and faith, do us a favor and give us a positive review wherever you happen to be listening to this podcast. And if you can think of at least one person who may benefit from this content, share this episode with them. You can learn more about Sister Halwa via her website, authorahalwa.com, and you can purchase the wonderful Secrets of Divine Love wherever books and audiobooks are sold. To further connect with me and to continue the conversation, please visit us at soulofislamradio.com. With the will and grace of God, I look forward to connecting with you soon. To your divine and eternal success.